fossil fans and dino lovers. Welcome to the Paleo Podcast, brought to you by the Cranbrook Institute of Science and Podcast Nation. Here are your hosts, Tim and Dr. Andrew. Welcome back, Tim. How's it going today? Oh, it's going pretty good. How about you? Good. So I was looking back at our prior episodes, and I've noticed we've spent a lot of time on land. Um, We've talked about things that fly. We have not talked much about things that swim. So I thought this would be a good episode to focus on that. What do you think? Oh, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, we have not talked about the oceans pretty much at all, have we? No, and it's, okay, this is where it gets kind of confusing because, you know, ancient seas were populated with a lot of famous animals that probably a lot of our listeners have heard about before. Um, But despite what a lot of people think, dinosaurs weren't really among them, uh, even though they had, some of those animals had soar in their name. So this is where it gets confusing because just because your name ends with soar doesn't mean you are a dinosaur. So where do you think is a good spot to uh, start off this conversation, Tim? Well, you know, you can't really talk about prehistoric marine life without bringing up uh, Mary Anning, ah, yes, who okay. is a old paleontologist from the early 1800s. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure just about everybody has heard of her without knowing it because okay. she is the one that sells seashells by the seashore. Ah, the that tongue twister? tongue twister uh-huh. is literally based on her life experiences. So what she would do is she would she would go out on her own free time and find all of these uh, fossils uh, along the shore in England, and uh, she'd sell them, you know, on the beach. And these fossils were, of course, fossil shells, but she's also one of the most significant paleontologists uh, because she found and discovered the first of many popular uh, marine animals, like plesiosaurs, those long-necked flippered animals, you know, kind of like the Loch Ness Monster, you know, Uh, ichthyosaurs, and ammonites, and believe it or not, she's also the first person to discover coprolites. Oh, okay. Fossilized poop. Yeah, okay. Hold yeah. on. So I pulled up this tongue twister here. I'm going to try it, okay? Yeah. Okay. She sells seashells on the seashore. Right, yeah. The shells she sells are seashells, I'm <laughs> sure. So if she sells seashells on the seashore, then I'm sure she sells seashore shells. That was, that was hard, even though I did that slowly. I didn't even know there was more to it <laughs> yep, than that. That's and, right. you know, I'm a little disappointed it doesn't talk about her coprolite discovery, but I guess she sells feces by the seashore doesn't oh, quite have the same ring go. to it. Hey, if I don't think that book exists yet if you're looking for something, Tim. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned ichthyosaurus. So what can you, what, what's significant about that? Ah, okay, so ichthyosaurus or ichthyosaurus mm-hmm. has one of those sores in its name. Mm-hmm. But they're not dinosaurs, not dinosaurs at all. In fact, know. they're a type of reptile that has um, been heavily adapted for life in the sea. And they would have lived their entire lives in the ocean. Uh, so if you think of like a reptile, like a lizard, it's got a big long tail and four legs or four limbs. And in ichthyosaurs, their tail has turned into almost essentially a shark tail. And their four limbs are now flippers. Uh, and they look almost exactly like dolphins do. Right. I was going to ask, aren't these the dolphin things? Right. Yeah. Now, dolphins are mammals. Ichthyosaurs are reptiles. They couldn't be further related from each other. Right, they so... have nothing to do with each other at all. Okay. Why do they look the same then? That's something called convergent evolution, mm-hmm. where two completely unrelated species or animals 
uh, are under the exact same environmental stresses. In this case, it's deep, open ocean. And because they're under those same exact stresses, they tend to evolve the same traits because those traits, in this case, flippers and, a, and like a tail fin, uh, are perfectly suited for living in those in those uh, conditions. Yeah, got it. Makes perfect sense. Huh. So uh, one of the coolest ichthyosaurs, in my opinion, is called Ophthalmosaurus. It was from the Jurassic period. And Ophthalmosaurus has the largest eyeballs of any animal that has ever uh, existed in the whole of time. Okay, so like ophthalmologist, that's where the name comes from. Oh, yeah. I guess so. Right. I, I never put that together. <laughs> yeah, before. there you go. You learn something new every day, right? <laughs> so you also mentioned plesiosaurs, which are different than ichthyosaurs. So what's different about them? Right. So plesiosaurs um, have the four flippers and they have that really long neck. And if you're familiar with the the Loch Ness Monster, mm -hmm. they usually take a plesiosaur and slap it into a lake. Um, now, plesiosaurs um, are another classic marine animal, but they're not dinosaurs. Again, they're a type of reptile. Uh, they're very diverse. There's tons of different genuses and species of them. Um, but they all, most of them have a pretty long neck. Yeah. And okay. What, so I was looking at that neck, by yeah, the way. Uh huh. It looks ridiculous. What like evolutionary benefit did that neck, what, what, what would that allow you to do? Ah, so, uh, you might notice, you know, maybe you've, you've experienced this, but if you swim up to a big school of fish, they're going to swim away from you. Right. That has been my experience. Yes. yes yeah. Mine too. Now, plesiosaurs had a very small head but a very long neck. And then their bodies were, you know, varied in sizes. But what they could do is they could keep their most of their body mass, their, their body away from the fish. And using that long neck, they can move their smaller head closer to the fish. And to the fish, they look way smaller or way further away uh, uh, as a result. So the fish don't get spooked as easily. And then uh, with that long neck, they're closer to the fish than the fish realize, so they can actually catch fish way easier huh. with that long neck. So they were essentially a giant fishing rod. Yeah, basically, yeah. Hmm. Okay, so of all the creatures that lived in ancient oceans, I feel like there is one that, if anyone had heard of one, it may have been the Mosasaurus. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. So the Mosasaurus has absolutely peaked in popularity mm -hmm. since 2015 when it was in Jurassic World. Right. Albeit completely incorrectly oh, portrayed no. <laughs> in that movie. But Mosasaurs are my favorite marine animal. Uh, again, not a dinosaur, but mm -hmm. they did live in the late Cretaceous and uh, were the largest predators in the world during that time, or some of them were, uh, like Mosasaurus and Tylosaurus. They look kind of like a stretched out plesiosaur, which um, with a much shorter neck, um, maybe like a smooth down crocodile without all the, the scoots. Uh, <laughs> but what's interesting is they're not dinosaurs mm -hmm. and they're not crocodiles. They're actually completely closely related to either monitor lizards or snakes. Oh, okay. Interesting. I thought you were going to say sharks or something. Yeah. <laughs> They're not around today. Why couldn't they hack it? Well, you know, during that extinction event, mm -hmm. around 75% of life went extinct during that meteor at mm -hmm. the end of the Cretaceous. And all most of the animals that weighed over 50 pounds went extinct. And these mosasaurs are 
absolutely massive. Yeah. So they would have been prime candidates for extinction. So just their food sources went by the wayside. Right. Mm. But before that extinction event, their food sources were unlimited. The sky was the limit. They would eat, they would eat literally anything in the ocean that is smaller than they are. In fact, some large mosasaurs would even hunt smaller mosasaurs. So really the ocean was the limit. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, so one of the uh, one of the animals that lived with Mosasaurus is actually a fish uh, called Zephactinus, and we're all pretty aware of how like swordfish and sailfish look. These things looked a lot like those fish, minus the big sharp nose and the big fin, but they were extremely long. Some of them reaching up to like 19, 20 feet long, uh, and uh, they had like a head like a bulldog almost, and we can tell how vicious and hungry they were, there's a very famous uh, Zephactinus specimen uh, called fish within a fish. Because this giant Zephactinus is fossilized with a seven-foot-long fish inside of its stomach. Seven-foot-long is also a huge fish, and it's dwarfed by the Zephactinus. But what it did is it swallowed that fish whole, and then that fish started thrashing around inside the Zephactinus killing the Zephactinus, and then as it sunk to the bottom, it got fossilized with the other fish still inside of it. Yeah, okay. So it was like, it it bit off way more than Mm -hmm. it could chew, really. Yep, yep. And it didn't care. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) if you're going to go out, go out with a bang. And yeah, I just realized that Zephactinus fossil, that is at the Sternberg Museum where uh, one of our speakers for the Women Rock Science speaker series that we have, uh, Dr. Laura Wilson. She showed that in her talk recently, and it's it's if any, anyone hasn't seen that fossil before, it's a really cool fossil to look at. Right, and we actually we do have a Zephactinus skull in our museum, also okay. in our uh, west entrance room. Uh, and funny enough, the skull is above a window that is about the size of a Zephactinus. Oh, so when you go. go in and you check that out, you can kind of see for yourself just how ridiculously large this fish had this fish was that's amazing okay so i feel like whenever we're talking about life in the ancient seas the one we gotta mention again maybe folks have heard about this one too it is essentially the most giant shark to put all current sharks to shame that's right jason statham's worst enemy it is the megalodon yeah there you go so despite what a lot of people think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of misconceptions about this shark they're not related to great whites, mm-hmm. even though I hear that all the time. They are definitely extinct, even though news sites always love to say that they've found a new sighting of a megalodon. Oh, interesting. And they didn't live with the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. They actually lived around 2 million years ago. And of course, the last dinosaur, the last prehistoric dinosaur died out in 66 million right, right. years ago. Um, but Megalodon is, is remarkable for many things. It is the only animal in the history of Earth to have a bite force stronger than T-Rex. Yeah, and it makes it so annoying, too, because whenever we talk about T-Rex, we always go, <laughs> the strongest bite force of any land animal. I yep. am so tired of saying <laughs> yep. that, but, you know, credit where it's due. That's so true. T-Rex's bite force is a whopping estimated between 8,000 and 12,800 pounds per square inch. That's huge. That's that's six times stronger than anything alive today. Mm. But the megalodon's bite force is 44,000. Okay. Just which a bit is more. Yeah, which is just, you know, it's a joke how how strong it is. Mm-hmm. Now, um 
the way great white sharks hunt, and I know I said they're not related, but they are very similar. The way great white sharks hunt is that they go beneath their prey, you know, such as a seal or a dolphin or, or something, and they hit it from below, and they use their powerful bite to disembowel their prey. But the bite force for Megalodon was so strong. And, and by the way, Megalodon was not hunting seals. They were hunting whales. That's how big they were. Wow. And they would hunt in a very similar manner. But with that force of their own weight coupled with how strong their jaws were, they were actually biting these whales in half. It's crazy. And, and we have evidence of that in the fossil record? We have evidence of whale. Yeah, we have found whales that have just completely been bitten in half from a megalodon bite That's now crazy granted megalodon is the reason whales back then weren't very big it, whales didn't get big big until after the megalodon went extinct uh, okay um and i again want to stress that megalodon is extinct uh can't stress that one enough and <laughs> the way they went extinct is actually uh pretty unique it was for three separate reasons so about two million years ago uh, the poles got f cold for pretty much the first time, like really cold, like frozen over. Um, and uh, whales can handle this cold water really well. They have blubber and stuff. So these whales are now migrating to the poles where the megalodon can't follow them. Sharks, sharks cannot handle cold water good at all. So the megalodon is now forced to hunt prey that it wasn't adapted to hunting before. Also around this time, North and South America connected for the first time. Now, oh, yeah. sharks are migratory breeders, so they will go all over the world, but then come back to the certain spot every year to mate and breed. But because the megalodon was so used to being able to just swim in a ring around the world, and now they can't, it really reduced the numbers of the population of megalodons because now they're not breeding as often as they should. And the final nail in the megalodon coffin is another shark evolved onto the scene around this time called Carcharodon carcarius, and it is way better at hunting these smaller mammals like seals and large fish and things like that than the megalodon was. It needed less food, it was faster and way more efficient. And so these new sharks completely outcompeted the megalodon for all of its food source, and the megalodon ultimately went extinct. The cool irony is that Carcharodon carcarius is still around today. We just happened to call that one the great white shark. Yeah, there so you go. So we came that close to having a whole different movie in Jaws uh -huh. uh, if it wasn't for the great white shark. Well, I'm partially disappointed that we'll never get to see, you know, a Jurassic Park type aquarium scenario with a megalodon inside of it. But yeah. probably for the best that we don't coexist with them. Yeah, I, I imagine cruise ships would not be as popular. <laughs> That's right. OK, so this is actually a good segue. Our question of the day, we're going to have to go back onto land, but it's all mm, about. Okay. Things eating other things and size discrepancies. So, prehistoric animals love to eat other prehistoric animals. Uh, yes, exactly. So the question that we got was, how could smaller meat-eating dinosaurs take down much larger sauropods who were very large? They're, they oftentimes have those very large necks, and they were a lot of meat. So you could see why a smaller meat-eating dinosaur would be interested. But how exactly were they able to actually do that? Okay, so... I'm, I believe the smaller predator that the question is referring to is an Allosaurus, which I don't know if I'd use the word small 
normally to describe this animal. It was, you know, it's a pretty large predator. However, I guess next to a sauropod, Mm -hmm. it would look very small. And we definitely have evidence that shows that they were hunting sauropods and they were eating them. Uh, And there are a few theories as to how they could do it. My personal favorite theory is that um, Allosaurus in particular has a bite weaker than a lion. And that's something kind of weird about Allosaurus. However, their, their teeth are extremely sharp like knives. Their jaws can open over 90 degrees wide, oh, and their neck muscles are very strong. It's terrifying. <laughs> it would be, yeah. You kind of, you got to repeat its yeah. weak bite. It's got a weak bite. Wow. Uh, but it's also, the sides of its skull are very strong, too. It was very reinforced. So the thought is, perhaps they would not necessarily bite these sauropods, because, you know, it's not mm-hmm. very strong, but they would open their mouth extra wide just to get that bottom jaw out of the way. And then they would use the sides of their skull, a bone called the maxilla, like an axe. And they would hack chunks of meat right off these sauropods. Unfortunately, probably while they were still alive yeah. and running away. That's the weirdest and, way I've ever heard to hunt something. Right. And they, they would probably just take a bite and then back off and just follow this pod of sauropods until eventually the one they were harassing uh expires and uh they'd be able to eat that one for weeks uh at a time oh that's fascinating well as uh a famous man once said life uh finds a way well there it is which is a great segue into our next episode just make sure you stay tuned to talk all about what jurassic park got right and what jurassic park got wrong Paleo Podcast is produced by the Cranbrook Institute of Science and Podcast Nation. Thanks for listening.